the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 13. Good morning. Greetings in the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's a great honor and a privilege to open up the Word of God. May you alone have all the glory. Thank you for all your prayers for us as a family. Thank you, Dan Burson, for exchanging, switching with me. Thank you for your teaching last week. I Let's uh, pray one more time. Eternal God, our Father, we thank Thee for Thy beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming down to the sin-stricken world to save wretched sinners like us. Thank You for redeeming us. Thank You for bringing us from that darkness to Thy marvelous light. This morning, pray that Thou speak to us. Lord, bless our assembly. Pray for the leadership. We pray that Thou raise up men for Thy word, for the gospel, for Thy service. Pray for many of the elderly folks who are not feeling well. Bless them, grant them the strength from above. Pray for many of the dear sisters and brothers who are not feeling well. Touch and heal them with thine own hands, with thy nail-pierced hands. Touch and heal them, O Lord. We thank thee for thy mercy. Lord, as we open up thy word, we ask for thy blessing. Speak to us. Grant us the wisdom from above. Bless thy servant. Give utterance from above. Bless our time together. Help us to learn something this morning, something new this morning. We ask for thy blessings and leading. We pray for this country, race of men that fear and honor God. Lord, we thank you for this time. We ask for thy blessings. Pray that the Holy Spirit of God point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. All this we pray and ask the most precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Gospel account to Matthew chapter 13. This morning we looked at one of them, the Church of God, which he purchased with his own precious blood. But we look at We'll just read a few verses. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, the seventh parable of the kingdom. A key chapter in the New Testament. It should be carefully studied with Leviticus chapter 23, that is the seventh feast of Jehovah, and the seven churches that we find in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where we get the picture of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and the church of God. Unfortunately, we do not have time to get into it. But as you know, Matthew is the gospel of the king, the gospel of the kingdom. In the first four chapters of Matthew, the king is presented. There we get the credentials of the king. Seven credentials are presented in the first four chapters of Matthew, the credentials of the king. Then in chapter 5, 6, and 7, we get the constitution of the kingdom. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? The king gives the constitution of the kingdom by which it will be governed, the principles by which the kingdom will be governed. In chapter 8 and 9, 10 miracles are brought together. There we get the confirmation of the king. He presents 10 miracles in four different spheres to show that he was the son of God, that he was the son of man, his deity, and his humanity. Why? To authenticate the work of the Lord Jesus as king while he was here below on this earth. In chapter 10, he chooses 12 disciples and sends them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom. There we get the commission of the kingdom, the proclamation of the gospel. Then in chapter 11 and 12, we come into a crisis, the crisis of the king, the crisis in the kingdom. After the king has presented himself, presented his claims, after he had preached the gospel and gone around these little villages and towns, after he had Perform this wonderful miracles of grace and mercy. The leaders of the nation, that is, the Jewish nation, the Pharisees, they come to him as he was casting a demon out of a person who was blind and dumb. They look at him, they consider it and spoke. This is not the finger of God. 
This is what they said. This is the devil himself. He is casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. The prince of the demons or devil. He is using satanic power. They deliberately refused and rejected the king. Following this crisis, from this point on, the Lord, he starts this magnificent body of teaching in Matthew chapter 13. He started teaching in parables, a way, hidden truth, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. In fact, this is the first time he ever spoke in parables, which have spiritual message hidden in them. He gives an outline of the age in which we live, the condition of things in the era in which we live, the age between his first and second coming, known as the kingdom of heaven. The king is absent from the earth, carrying out his purposes from heaven. The kingdom of heaven is what we call the Christendom. It's a mixture of that which is genuine and true versus that which is counterfeit and false. Seven parables are given on the same day. In Matthew chapter 13, they are divided into two parts. The first four parables are linked together. They form a complete unit. In the first four parables, we get the dark side of the picture where Satan is working to destroy the work of God. And in the last three, we get the bright side of the picture where God will ultimately triumph. This morning, we looked at one of them, the pearl of great price, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, this morning, we'll touch very briefly the first two parables, and then we'll look at parable number three in detail. Hopefully, that'll encourage you to look into the rest of the parable. So, let's read Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, verse 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed some seeds, fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who had ears to hear, let him hear. The Lord Jesus interpreted this parable in verse 18 to 23. For the sake of time, we won't read it. So the first story is about a farmer or a husbandman sowing good seed with lavish hand, throwing it out without regards to where it falls. Some fell by the wayside, some upon stony ground, some fell among thorns, and the rest on good ground. The sowing of the word of God, the good news of the gospel. The Lord is the husbandman, the good seed is the word of God, and the soil is the human heart. Notice, all may be reached with the gospel, but all will not be saved. But we see, what we see here is only 25% of the soil that received the seed of the word of God responded favorably to it. Now we come to what's called the parable of the wheat and the tares, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But when men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares, in other words, weeds or darnel, and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, 
Then appeared the tears also. So the servant of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou so good seed in, in thy field? From whence then hath it tears? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, But he said, Nay, lest while he gather up the tares, he root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather he together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. So here we see two sowers, two opponents. We see two seeds, two type of people, children of God, children of devil, and two similarity. The answer to this parable you'll find in verse 36. So he who sows the good seed is the son of God, the Lord Jesus himself. The field is the world, and the good seed means the sons of the kingdom. The tares or weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. In other words, good seed is sown in the field by the husbandman in order to undermine the work of the husbandman. While men slept, the enemy sowed tares among the wheat. You know, these tares are poisonous and they look exactly like the wheat. So what we see here is that Satan would do some sowing of his own during this present age, planting his children among the sons of God and imitating them. In the first parable, we saw that the enemy steal away the seed. But here the enemy uses imitation. Very difficult to distinguish between the genuine from the counterfeit. And hence, both will be growing side by side together. Don't worry, at the end of the age, at the end of the age, at the harvest, they will be separated. Now we come to the third one, and this is what we want to look, God willing, this morning. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. Another parable put it forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it's the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Verse 33, another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret, from the foundation of the world. The parable number three, that is, the parable of the mustard seed, is something that is external, something that is visible. But parable number four is something that is internal. Look at verse 33. A woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. A sinister infiltration. Leaven always, always speak of evil. An evil doctrine been introduced in three measures of meal, a picture of evil working in the dark. Now let's read the third parable again. Another parable put it forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, which indeed is the least of all seeds. This, that is, in Israel, that is the least of all seeds. 
It was the smallest of any seed they knew. But when it is grown, it's the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now we pay, now we face a problem, a tough problem. When you are studying the parable of Matthew chapter 13, our Lord interpreted or explained the parable number one, then he interpreted and explained parable number two, but he did not interpret parable number three. In other words, the Lord Jesus says nothing about it, and this is where we could go astray. If you look at many of the commentaries, they take a different stand, an upside-down interpretation of the parable. The late Dr. G. Campbell Morgan wrote a book on the parables of our Lord, and in it he made a distinction when he came to the parable of the mustard seed. This is what he says. Beware of the peril of popularity. Beware of the peril of popularity. What did he mean by that? In 1889, more than 130 years ago, a man by the name by Dr. Bruce wrote a 500-page book on the parables called The Parabolic Teaching of Christ. In it, he says, The parable of the mustard seed is a good omen of the future. The parable of the mustard seed is a good omen of the future in which Jesus represents the spread of Christianity. That is what many people believe. When Dr. Bruce started more than 100 years ago, it became the popular viewpoint. It was the popular interpretation. Dr. Morgan said, beware of the peril of popularity. What is popular is not always correct. Now the popular interpretation of this parable is contrary to the first two parables. If the parable of the mustard seed is a good omen teaching the spread of Christianity, it's contrary to the teaching of parable number one and number two. We have to look at this parable in the light of the scripture. The Bible interprets the Bible. It's not always easy. We have to be patient when we come to problem passages in the Bible because good men disagree. That is why there are problem passages because there is different interpretation. They are tough to handle. And this is one of them. Our Lord did not give the interpretation and we are left on our own to search for it. Now keep in mind that these seven parables are consistent, they are connected, and they are completed as a whole. They are harmonious in their interpretation. You cannot make one to mean something different from what others teach. Now, if you take Dr. Bruce's interpretation, that the parable of the mustard seed is a good omen, representing the spread of Christianity, that eventually the world will be ready for the kingdom, that is a wrong interpretation. The church will not bring in the kingdom. Lots of, lot of, lots of people believe that. Beware of the peril of popularity. Now again, the seven parables form a connected and a completed whole. If this parable is an unnatural development, and it is, it will never bring in the kingdom. Now let's read the parable again. Verse 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof, the greatest among herbs. Mark that word, herbs. It, and it becomes a tree, my dearly beloved, and herb never develops into a woody tissue. When it serves its time of prosperity, it normally dies. You want the scripture for that? Let's go to the first page 
in the Bible. Let's see if this mustard seed is an omen for good to bring in the kingdom. That is the popular interpretation. That is not what the Bible teaches. Genesis chapter 1, we are going to see if this herb ever becomes a tree. Genesis chapter 1, <coughs> verse 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. So, everything reproduces after its kind. Verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind. And the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. So we see there are two different kinds. One kind never crosses another kind. You can't cross breed. When the herb has done its work, it just fades out of the picture. And you don't have a tree growing from an herb. Now, that would be a monstrosity. If a herb could become a tree, that would be a monstrosity. According to the scripture, everything reproduces after its kind. Let me give you an example. There are plenty of nurseries in Florida where you find different kinds of fruit on one tree. That person hasn't changed God's law. For example, in a citrus tree, a person can graft in orange, grapefruit, lime, lemon, and so on. And people come from all over to see four or more different fruits on one tree. But they all are citruses. They are all of the same kind, you see. But you can't grow peaches on an orange tree. Different kind. So it's not possible for a herb to become a tree according to the scripture. So what we have here is a monstrosity. I'm going to call it Christendom. Not Christianity, but Christendom. A big monstrosity, a free Christendom, a malignant growth, an unnatural growth, an abnormal growth, a sensational growth, a monstrosity. Now, for example, take the country of Japan. We learn that one person of the population of Japan are Christian. But that one person is made of Roman Catholics, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, Christian Science, Jehovah Witness, and all those Protestant denominations that is called Christianity in Japan. That is not Christianity. Anything that is not Jewish or Buddhist is a Christian in Japan. That is not true. All Roman Catholics are not Christians. That is Christendom. Christianity is a person. You can't say the word Christian without the word Christ. Take Christ out of Christianity and you have nothing. So what we see here is a great monstrosity. The the ecumenical church will see it in the scripture this morning. Now let's go to the parable again. Verse 31. And the parable put forth unto them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now, our Lord has not interpreted this, so we have to use the scripture to interpret the parable. We earlier saw that you can't crossbreed herbs with trees. Now, watch this, verse 32. 
The birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now we have to identify the birds. Where do we get that? Right here in Matthew chapter 13. Look at verse 4. And when he sowed some seeds, fell by the wayside, and fowls came and devoured them up. Now what do the birds represent? In our Lord's interpretation of the parable, not mine. Look at verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown it which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside, the wicked one, the birds. Who do, who do they represent? The devil and his children. He says so. The wicked one. Our Lord interprets that parable, not me. So the fowls, the birds that came and gathered up the seed represent Satan and his emissaries. They steal the seed of the word of God. Now, what is lodging in the branches of this monstrosity, this herb that grew into a vast tree? What is it? The birds are there. Now, the parable number one is recorded in three Gospels. Matthew chapter 13, keep a marker there. We'll come back to it. Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. Turn to Mark chapter 4 to confirm what we have seen so far. The bird represents Satan and his emissaries. Mark chapter 4, verse 14. The sower soweth the, the sower soweth the word. 15. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have, when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Here Mark says, the name of the wicked one, Satan. These are the birds that stole the seed in the first part of the parable. Now let's see what Luke has to say. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Same parable, one adds something that the other does not. Says it little differently, but saying the same thing. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. When the Lord Jesus gave the parable, he said, The birds steal the seed. Then cometh devil, then cometh Satan and his emissaries. In our Lord's teaching, they are the birds that steal the seed of the word of God. Now go back to the parable of the mustard seed. In the branches of this big monstrosity, this herb that becomes a tree, birds are in the branches. My dearly beloved, they are not hummingbirds. They are not parakeets. They are not trained parrots. They are buzzards. Buzzards in the branches. This is what the Bible says. Vultures. Now, if you have been taught that the parable of the mustard seed is a good omen, bringing in the kingdom, will you please show me anywhere in the Bible if that is true? That is a popular viewpoint. They have been taught in Sunday schools. I hope that is not the case here at Lake Havel. I'd like Dr. Morgan's warning. Beware of the peril of popularity. Don't follow the crowd. Go by the word of God. If we follow the crowd today, we wouldn't be following the word of God. I'm talking about the religious crowds of the day. Buzzards in the branches. Who are the birds in this big monstrosity, this Christendom, this great ecumenical movement? They are buzzards. They are devil's emissaries. Jesus says so. Now turn to Daniel chapter 4. 
The prophecy of Daniel chapter 4, I have never gotten concerned about a presidential election after studying the book of Daniel. My candidate didn't always win, but God was always a winner. God knew who would be elected before anybody went to the polls. That is very clear in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, now we want to look at what this tree is. In Ezekiel 31 also we see a tree there, but we don't have time this morning. So we'll read some verses from Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and in his dream there was a tree. And Daniel was called to interpret the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, verse 4. Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a degree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I had seen, and the interpretation thereof. Verse 10. Thus were the visions of my head in my bed. Now watch this, my friends. This is what he dreamt. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. Verse 11. The tree grew. The tree grew. Now just think of the parable now. The little mustard seed grows into a great tree. The tree grew, verse 11, the tree grew and was strong and the height thereof reached under the heaven and the side thereof to the end of all the earth. To the end of all the earth. Ecumenicity. That is the meaning of the word ecumenical. The whole inhabited earth. And in this dream, he saw a tree and reached the heaven and covered the entire earth. Covered the entire earth. See, it's ecumenicity here. Verse 12, the leaves thereof were fair and the fruit thereof much. And in it was meat for all. Meat for all. See, the ecumenicity, a worldwide system. The whole world was affected by what he saw in the tree. The beast of the field had shadow under it. And the fowls of the heaven, there is the bird. And the fowls of the heaven dwell in the bows thereof, and all the flesh was fed of it. All the flesh was fed of it. Ecumenicity. Verse 13, I saw in the vision of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down. And holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Verse 15, nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the air. Why leave the stump there? Leave the stump there so that it will continue to sprout later. Leave the stump there. Even with a band of iron and Brass in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. 
Verse 16, let his heart be changed for man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the degree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over setteth up over it the basis of man. Did you know that God would have prevented Adolf Hitler from coming into power or Mussolini into power? He would have prevented Saddam Hussein from coming into power, but he didn't. He sets up even the basis of men. God is behind the scene. He is behind the scene. He is controlling the scene. God is in complete control. Verse 18. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof. Now, after the magicians and the astrologers and the soothsayers have failed in their efforts to interpret the dream, Daniel appears. And Daniel said to the king, verse 20, the tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached under the heaven and the side thereof to all the earth. See the ecumenicity to all the earth. That is the meaning of that word ecumenical, the whole inhabited earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof, and in it was meat for all. Meat for all. Ecumenicity, everybody come under the emblem of the world church, under which the beast of the field dwell, upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. There is the birds. The fowls of the heaven had their habitation. Verse 22. It is thou, O king, that are grown and become strong. So we see the tree represented the empire of Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon. For thy greatness is grown and reaches unto heaven. And thy dominion to the end of all the earth. Notice, to the end of all the earth, ecumenical. The ecumenical church that will reach out to the whole inhabited earth. The future is the end of that great ecumenical system, bringing all the denominations together. Let us bring the Roman Catholics and the Protestants together. doesn't matter what they believe, just so we are in unity, that we have something in common. Verse 24, this is the interpretation of king. This is the decree of the Most High. The Most High, El Elyon, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth which is come upon my Lord the King. Verse 25, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. That is Exactly what happened. For seven years, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, lived in the fields and ate the grass like a beast. Never shaved or cut his nails. And they grew. And at the end of the seven years, God finished dealing with him. And I believe Nebuchadnezzar became a saved man. Daniel gave the gospel to his boss, the king. And he became a saved man. So the first king of the time of the Gentiles became a beast for seven years. Guess what? The last king of the times of Gentile is going to act like a beast for seven years. But for the last king, there will be no remedy, no restoration. He'll be thrown into the lake of fire. And at the end of the seven years, he'll be thrown in the lake of fire at the end of seven years. What was the first great empire like? Babylon the Great. It was like a tree. He saw that in his dream and in Daniel's interpretation. 
So you will see the collapse of this great world empire and so you will see the collapse of this ecclesiastical Babylon. The more the man gets away from God, the more beastly his conduct becomes. They act like animals. That is exactly what we are seeing today. Men are living like animals today. No thought of gift, no thought of God before their eyes. Now we want to see the end to this story. Turn to Revelation chapter 18. We'll look at a couple of verses. Our time is running out. This big monstrosity, this great ecumenical moment, I want you to see the great collapse of this moment. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven. Another angel come down from heaven. We saw that in Daniel. Having great power and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon, the greatest fallen, is fallen, is become the habitation. Now watch this, is become the habitation of devils, demons, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of unclean and hateful, what? Bird. Notice, the birds are in the cage. The birds find lodging in the tree, and in the end of the story, they are caged, trapped by the very system they helped to perpetuate. These are false teachers who have stolen away the word of God. Babylon the great, here is the great victory that is come to a climax. Read that, it is the habitation of every evil spirit and home of every demon and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. This is the ecclesiastical Babylon of the last days, a monstrous system. It collapses, it collapses the religious system, the political system, and the commercial system. The language of the Bible is quite clear, dear friends. It's a very interesting chapter, Revelation chapter 18. We are headed towards that great religious war in the history of mankind, Muslims against the Jews, is coming to head. And when the Lord of Lords and King of Kings is coming back, he will wrap it all up. So what we have seen so far in the parable of the mustard seed, the tree symbolizes growth, greatness, and prominence judged by the world standard. Its size and influence makes it important. It is popular to find shelter in this big religious monstrosity. Even the worldly and and the wealthy are drawn to it. What we see here is the kingdom spreading and flourishing. But my dearly beloved, it is not the kingdom of God. The little flock does not dominate in its natural setting. The secret of the power of church through the, the secret of the power of Christ through church is faith. Faith in a head. The Lord Jesus himself. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is what did the Lord say? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. The inner characteristics of his members, that is the members of the true church, is humility. The true children of Christ's kingdom must be able to say and demonstrate as did John, that is John the baptizer. He must increase, but I must Degrees. John chapter 3 verse 30. He that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than all. He that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than all. The parable of the mustard seed is not teaching that Christianity is flourishing and that all the world is becoming saved. Again, let me tell you, the gospel is to be preached into all the world, but all the world will not be converted. 
The mustard seed is a monstrosity because it becomes a tree. It's a great religious freak, a great a great massive organization and unnatural growth. People are flocking to it, but it's not the real thing. Bigness does not mean that it is successful and that it is honoring God. In Noah's days, there were only eight. The Bible has what we call the doctrine of the remnant. The Lord Jesus talked about them and he called them little flock. Big doesn't mean success. Now, how do you test the real thing? Always Always by the word of God. Let me give you an example. The big banks, when they hire a teller, this is how they are trained to handle money. They would take them to a long training process, and these tellers have to master all these authentic bills. The $1 bills, 2s, 5s, 10s, 20s, 50s, 100s, 500s, 1000s, and so on. Dollar bills, and so on. They have to master the authenticity of these bills. And then just before the training period is over, before they are put in the public to handle the money, Behind those cages or counters in the bank, they are given a counterfeit bill. A counterfeit money is slipped into them, and they don't know anything about it. In most of the case, they are able to detect the counterfeit bill, and they detect it on the basis that they had mastered the authentic bill. Now, how can we detect Satan's counterfeit religion today? How can we detect the tears? It's by mastering the authenticity of the word of God. We should be men and women of the word of God, submitting to the teaching of the Holy Spirit and in close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in closing, just want to give you an application. Now, you must remember that the mustard seed is small and does not grow into a huge tree. If it does, it's a monstrosity, an unnatural growth, an unhealthy growth. One of the basic principles that is taught in this parable, I think, is the faith principle. I'm not interpreting the parable, but simply making an application of a very important point. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, If you have faith as a mustard seed, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. The faith principle is basic to man's relation to God and is also the principle by which the children of God live day by day. We read in Hebrews chapter 11 verse, But without faith it is impossible to please God. But without faith it is impossible to please God. So a person who does not trust God, who does not believe God and trust Him completely for all things, just cannot please God. But we Christians live by faith. We read three times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. It is at this point that the God's true church and Satan's ecumenical church part company. This little mustard seed illustrates the principle of living by faith. So seek him, diligently seek him with all your heart. The world will not be converted because parable number one says, 75% of those who hear the word of God do not respond to it. The world can never be converted because parable number two, we have tears growing up with the weed until the end of the age. The parable of the mustard seed simply shows a great religious monstrosity with birds of every type and description flocking to its branches. It's ecumenical in its outrage, but it's not the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
These are solemn warnings for us that the enemy is at work at every hand. And what God has called us to do is to cling to the truth, to be obedient to the word of God. Despite all of Satan's opposition, God will succeed in his purposes in Christ Jesus our Lord. By the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ be glorified. Let us pray. Loving Father, thank you for thy holy word. We thank you for the dear ones who have taken the time to come and listen to thy holy word, to listen and to learn. We pray that all of us help us to live the truth that we have heard this morning. Make us a blessing to someone this week. We thank you for our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, and all that thou hast done on the cross for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. As we disperse one from another, send us with thy richest blessing. We pray and ask the most precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.